Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. My name's Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in Warbreaker section number two. In this section, we'll be covering chapters eight through 27. Whoa, that's a lot of chapters. It is. Because it's been a little while since we've recorded for for this uh, particular book. So just to reiterate, we're covering Warbreaker as sort of bonus content. We do what we want. (laughs) So we'll be covering whatever chunk of chapters Chad has a chance to read. Uh, Our spoiler policy is that I have read this book and Chad has not. Nope. In fact, Chad has not read any of the books in the Cosmere except for The Way of Kings. Correct. Yes. So we will not be spoiling any plot points past chapter 27 nope of warbreaker you got it nor will we be spoiling any plot points of other cosmere related works as much as we want to we don't spoil nothing if we can help it so it it seems to me chad like you are having fun reading this book i am enjoying this book so you know we are a a third of the way through Words of Radiance at this point. We're a little more than a third of the way through Warbreaker at this point. I'm enjoying Warbreaker more than I'm enjoying Stormlight Archive to this point. It's interesting, and we've talked about this a little bit, Brandon Sanderson's strengths and weaknesses, and I think in a standalone book like Warbreaker, his strengths really shine. You know, I feel like what Brandon Sanderson does well is his plotting. Not that he's a bad writer or that it's not his prose isn't strong, but it's not as strong as maybe some other authors that we've read. However, what he does, what he does brilliantly is he's able to intricately craft a story to give us those moments, those plot moments where just your hair stands up, Yeah, you know? he's able to to just pace things and and plot out twists that you don't expect and just build his character slowly up and so we get these just huge whiz bang moments uh that kind of make it all worth it in a story like stormlight archive where it's thousands and thousands of pages it takes a lot longer to get to those moments in a in a standalone book like warbreaker you're just going to get them a lot faster. Yeah, I feel like the character development happens more quickly. Yes. Everything just happens more quickly. Now, I guess if you're, I mean, if you're really a huge Brandon Sanderson fan, then the longer epic series would be something, you know, you would really, really enjoy, particularly if it involves, you know, a character that you just don't ever really, you never really want to stop reading that character, then getting five books about that character is great. Uh, but if you're more of a casual fan or you're just getting into Brandon Sanderson, and you don't have that same degree of loyalty, which is where I am at this point, then this book is more enjoyable. However, it's not like it's night and day. It's not like the difference is dramatic. Right. But yeah, I enjoy Warbreaker better so far. Well, let's get into the chapters then. 
We started off this section with chapter eight. Yes. Leading up to this, Siri is the daughter of the third. We pick up with Siri, and she wakes up the morning after her wedding. She's alone, and she's been untouched. Life in the palace is different from what she's used to. She's followed around by servants, and she's given every luxury imaginable, but she's not allowed to leave the palace ever. So this girl who spent her whole life shirking her responsibilities finds herself with nothing to shirk. She's surrounded by people, and yet she's completely alone. Yeah, this was an interesting chapter to me because I think Brandon Sanderson here does a good job of sort of creating tension with what's going to happen to her on her wedding night. Right. And nothing happens. And that's a relief, but not really, because it sort of then creates a greater mystery of what is this going on? You're really just delaying that tension. So what I think could be problematic here is that you could, in another circumstance, have this just be sort of like a false tension that goes nowhere, and it could be frustrating, but he manages not to make it that way. It just, you know, I, we obviously at this point we know more about Susabron, but at this point when when I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, uh, you know, I've I've got another wrinkle to the mystery, but I have not, I have not like pierced the bubble, you know, like so the tension's not gone, it's just on reprieve. And then we sort of end with this experience where we really have a completely different set of pity for Siri. We go from sort of being afraid for her uh, in terms of what's her immediate safety going to be. Is she going to be assaulted to just sort of feeling sorry for her being lonely and also sort of obviously a prisoner in this situation? What bugged me out the most about the description of Siri's daily life was the fact that her home, the palace, doesn't have designated rooms for any certain thing. The rooms change. So, and I don't know why that wigged me out so much, but I was just like, ah, oh, I would, that would drive me crazy. So there's, the rooms are all empty. She's in this huge palace no hallways you just walk from one room to the next and basically if she feels tired someone brings a couch in and oh now it's a sitting room if she's hungry they bring in a table and chairs and now it's a dining room so she's just stuck in this in this place where she has all these things but nothing is hers you yeah. know there's no she's in this huge house but there's no way to make it a home I, I don't know, it just... Yeah, I, I think it is very much that sense of you can have ev anything, but you can't keep anything, you know? Right. And it is... To me, the lack of hallways, I think, was the most... What's the word I'm looking for? Disconcerting? No, not disconcerting. Uh, leaving me feeling lost, like disorienting. That's right. the word I'm looking for. That was the most disorienting part to me, because it's like, well... I, to go anywhere, I have to walk through a series of different rooms. It also makes it feel very much like a Dungeons & Dragons dungeon. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like I have to go from room to room to room. You also start to get a glimpse here of just how much power the priests have. Mm-hmm. And it's not until later that you realize how little power the, quote, gods have. But at this point, you're starting to get a glimpse of how much power the priests themselves have. So in chapter nine, Vivenna arrives at Talir, and she thinks it's the ugliest thing she's ever seen. So she's in disguise, and she's traveling with Parlin, who is General Yarda's son. That's her father's right-hand man. They head to a restaurant to meet with Lemex, Dedalin's chief spy in Halandren. Instead, she's met by Denth and Tonkfa, two men who claim they are there to kill her. Yeah. So there's a wee bit of a, a cliffhanger there with this chapter ending. Thankfully, the next chapter picks right back up, so it's not too much of a cheap shot. No, yeah. But in this chapter, what I thought was interesting is we get our first sort of comparison and, and contrast to Viv and Ciri's reactions to Tellier. But in general, we're going to just constantly be seeing this contrast between the two sisters, how they react to situations, and this almost role reversal that happens. And then we see uh, Viv's misunderstanding of her sister. So she comes and she sees this bright, colorful city, and she assumes that Siri must have been completely overwhelmed and horrified. Yeah. And it was actually just the opposite. Yeah. You know, when Siri saw it, she thought it was awesome. So we also get a little backstory Stuff that's going to be more important later, we assume they talk about um, someone named Peacegiver the Blessed, who was a returned who ended the many war. So I thought Parlin was the most interesting character for me in yeah. this chapter because he smacks of Andy Griffith in the big city. <laughs> yeah, I see that. I like that. You know? Yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember the name of the movie. It's an old ass movie, but there's an old black and white movie where Andy Griffith comes from right off the farm mm -hmm. and he goes into basic training in the Air Force, mm -hmm. you know, and it's almost like an Amelia Bedelia type situation where like they ask him a question and he gives the just right what would be the most sort of common sense thing to him, but he sticks out so much like a sore thumb. And that's just sort of what Parlin is, you know, like, I like the hat. It's a good hat, you know, <laughs> walking around the city. And that to me was sort of the most, the one thing I took away is just how much he completely stuck out. And of course, obviously the thing that happens at the end. Also, you know, the I took a note here that, you know, there were arrangements for people in the city to be her ally. Obviously we find out in the next chapter what that's all about, but I just... I thought it showed a degree of sophistication for her father that we see very absent in Vivena herself. Yes, and, and certainly Viv turns out to be a character who thinks she's more prepared than she is. Yeah, it's a strange sort of thing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make this observation now because it's germane to the conversation. But you get a very obvious. To me, it is anyway, a contrast between Siri and Viv in that, you know, Viv is the one who is supposed to be prepared for this. And Siri is the one who supposedly is completely unprepared for this. And yet their states of preparedness and unpreparedness ironically work for it works for Siri 
works completely against Viv. Mm -hmm. You know, her uh, expecting that she's going to know what things are sort of stifles her and puts her in a situation where she doesn't she doesn't see the she doesn't see the degree of sophistication and doesn't read the subtext whereas Siri in her lack of preparedness is i think is better equipped to roll with the punches mm-hmm. so in chapter 10 we see that before vivenna can even decide how to react to the threat the men burst out laughing and it turns out that they are men who work for lemex and they were just joking about killing her they you know a terrible like sense you of do humor. <laughs> just a terrible sense of humor so Lemex is gravely ill, but Denth and Tonkfa take Vivenna to him just in time for her to witness his last moments. As he dies, he passes her a surprising wealth of biochromatic breath. So, um, yeah, Denth and Tonkfa, their their jokes and their humor is sort of the, the showcase of this chapter. Yeah, and throughout this Section. I mean, they're definitely the most fun part of Ivana's storyline because right. she's kind of a stick in the mud. She really is. Yeah. So you you have to sort of get your fun with Denth and Tongfa. <laughs> I also I like how Brandon Sanderson subverts the whole wise old mentor trope. You know, he's yeah. kind of built up that she's going to meet Lemex and he's going to be her guide through the city. So Lemex is her father's spy master in Halandren and Vivenna has been writing him letters for a long time. And she sort of believes that he's laid the groundwork for her, him to come and he's going to help her fit in. And as soon as she meets him, he dies. Yeah. Yeah. A good betrayal of sort of the meeting the master trope. Right. You know, as soon as you, not only, not only does he, in her mind, this is from her perspective that I'm saying this, not only does he not help her by dying immediately, the old bastard, but he also gives her all this breath, which in her mind is a huge shame, a huge complication. You know, I suspect that it's going to end up being a really positive thing for her, but that's not how she takes it at the time. Right. So this sets up one of the the big moral quandaries of the book is Vivenna having this breath, but believing that it's wrong. And what is she going to do with it? Yeah. Now, I didn't really get, I don't really at this point fully get the understanding, especially when I was reading it for the first time, of just sort of what the problem is with them, like the differences sort of in the religion and the and the outlooks on breath, other than her family is it, I, they're not the Vorans, the um I can't think of the name the, the people from the Idrians, but right. um but their religion looks at breath as being an abomination, and whereas the Hilarans sort of worship it. Beyond that, I don't really have a more sophisticated understanding of it. Well, I, I, you, you pretty much stated it, but no, the Idrians believe that well, everyone has a breath. Yeah. What the Idrians believe is that that is their soul. And so to give it away, to buy it, to sell it is 
is an abomination. It's the mm-hmm. worst thing that you could do. And for the the people of Halandren who worship the iridescent tones, they obviously they now they're there are returned all across in, on this entire planet. There are returned in um Idrian or in, in uh yeah, in Vivenna's country as well. Idris, yeah. There you go. But they just don't live longer than a week because it takes a breath each week for them to survive. So in Halandren, the returned are worshipped as gods, and so buying and giving away of breath is central to their religion. Now, at this point, I, I also don't think I fully understood what the returned meant. I mean, I know that all the gods are the returned, you know, and they're all seven foot tall. Mm-hmm. I know that. I know that they, you know, from Lightweaver, and I assume from all of them, they experienced some sort of death and came back from it. Yes. But it's not the same as the, like, the zombie army, the zombie soldiers that are walking around. Correct. So I don't quite understand the distinction between what happened to the returned that allowed them to come back, I don't want to say unharmed, but in this obviously better state, uh, a state that in Halandrin is worshipped, versus the ones who are just automatons. Like, what's the difference between the two? Is it luck? No, no, no. So a... And I'm sure I've read this, I just don't remember. So a lifeless soldier, the zombie soldiers, those are animated corpses. They are created by awakeners. So that's human mages. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're created by them. They're kept, the bodies are kept fresh through ichor and alcohol, mm-hmm. but they're not alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Returned are people who have died and then came, magically came back to life. So the returned But have, nobody really knows how or why. Exactly. It's not okay. through any kind of human means. So... Mm-hmm. They have, rather than having one regular breath or a collection of breaths like like an awakener could gather, mm-hmm. they have one giant divine breath. So they can give it away, but only one time. And they die. And if they give it away, they die. Yeah. So that's the difference. But But the returned come back not through any human means. They assume it's from some kind of divine means. Well, and also they have to have a new breath given to them every week or they die, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. So we don't really know why any of that is. That's all the mystery for the gods. Right. But but that's how it works. Right. Okay. In Chapter 11, Ciri is trying to convince Trelides, the high priest, to let her leave the palace. It's been six nights of kneeling naked in front of the god king all night long, and she is over it. Before one of these uncomfortable evenings, Bluefingers, the head scribe, gives her a cryptic warning that things at the palace aren't what they seem. Ciri's patience runs out that night, and she stands up to challenge the God King, who responds by walking out of the room and doing nothing. So at this point, the mystery of the God King is deepened because he's been built up to be this monster that, like, don't, you know, don't touch him. Don't talk to him. Don't look him in the don't, eye. Yeah, or don't make eye contact He'll have with you him. killed. And obviously things are not what Siri was told. Well, it's interesting because we find out nine chapters from now in chapter 20 why all that is. Right. You know? 
and it's a pretty awesome reveal. It's pretty neat. But at this point, not knowing what that is, the first time through, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> he he left. You know, what's he going to do? Right? Is he going to tell on her? Are they going to come and take her away and chop her head off? You know? So, yeah, it absolutely gets deepened. Trelides is a dick. Right. I don't like the guy. You know, here it's just becoming slightly more clear that her situation is like you know that her situation is precarious at this point but you really don't get a sense yet of why it's precarious by the time we get to the end of this section we've read i think we got a pretty clear sense of why her situation is so precarious Mm -hmm. but at this point you just sort of feel this vague unease Mm -hmm. but that's really all you know at this point I tell you what, I wouldn't have made it six nights. Right. <laughs> Not with my back. Yes, I mean, like, like, sleeping on my knees, bent over like that, oof. I did think it was funny. I might um, never get up again. At one point, she said, talks about how, as a matter of comfort, she started requesting, like, more and more ornate gowns that had, like, the most amount of fabric for because she would curl up with the gown on the floor. Chapter 12, Light Song Hears Petitions. The returned have an ability to miraculously heal one person, though they have to give up their own lives to do it. The people of Hallandren believe that the returned have a special purpose to fulfill, but Lightsong doesn't believe his own hype. In another part of the palace, Ciri wakes up and realizes that she lived through the night, even after standing up to the God King. She's determined to start doing things differently from here on out. So Lightsong is a very interesting deity in that he is very cynical about his own divinity. He, he does not believe that he is divine or that he has any kind of special purpose. He has a, a head priest who believes enough for the both of them, I guess you yeah. could say, but he's got this very cynical attitude toward everything that he is expected to do. Well, I, I also think it's interesting that Laramar, I think that's how you yeah. pronounce it, is the, his priest, who says, you know, I knew you before you were a great man, you know, the bravest among us. That's a couple chapters from now, but yes, okay. it does get yeah. revealed that Laramar knew him. And, well, I'm jumping ahead then, forgive me. We all read this section. That's okay. So it's interesting to sort of ponder, is any of that true at all? Because Light Song doesn't remember him because he can't really remember right. that phase of his life. So, I mean, Laramar seems to act like a true believer. It appears like he's a true believer, but it could all but all of that could one hundred percent be an act. They clearly have a vested interest in keeping these returned active and out in front of people and looking like like this whole petition thing is rough man Mm -hmm. like listening to people and what they're going through and basically you know here's my here's my child see him turning blue Mm -hmm. would you you know and he has to sit and listen to all these people who are in these horrible situations who are gonna die but they're asking him to die in their place Mm -hmm. you know and it seems like a pretty obvious sort of social control as far as the priests are going in terms of keeping the population 
invested in the religion mm-hmm. because you have a chance to petition the gods directly and have one of them intervene and save your life potentially directly. And it has happened in the past. Mm-hmm. It's rare, but not unheard of. So it seems like this is sort of just an like an obvious power move for the priests themselves. You know, if you're really a god and you don't want to do this and listen to these petitions, you don't really seem to have much control. No, you really don't. Now, that's the part I think that's the most puzzling to me about all this. Like, I get why Siri is in a situation where it's difficult for her to just up and leave, but I don't really understand why it's difficult for Lights On to just be like, well, actually, never mind, I take that back, because he's he can run away, he's got about a week to live. Exactly. Yeah. That All these returned are, are just trapped tools that these religious people can use to keep the population of the city under control. That's all it is. Uh, In part, I think we will learn that they actually do have powers and, and, and powers to see the future as well. But, but yeah, they are definitely trapped in the places that they are. In chapter 13, Vivenna struggles with the moral quandary of owning all of this breath. Holding it goes against everything she believes in, but in order to give it away, she has to give her own away as well. Additionally, holding the breath is inherently pleasurable, turning her guilt into shame. In the palace, Ciri gets ready for her presentation to the court. So one thing that's interesting about this book is the annotations, which I know you did not read. but. No. So this book was published online initially, and it was published in every version of the editing process, which is, I think, so interesting and something that Brandon Sanderson's editors, I'm pretty sure, hated. I but, would imagine. <laughs> but it's pretty cool. So the I'm reading it on, an, we're reading it on e-readers. They have annotations, which are just comments that Brandon made about each chapter. So one thing that he talks about in the annotations for this chapter are is Siri and Vivenna reversing roles. So Siri is like stepping up, starting to take responsibility, being active in her life, where Viv starts bouncing around. She's mostly reacting to things and losing control of her emotions. So that's something that we see as a dynamic we just are going to see continued throughout the book. Yeah, and it goes sort of back to what, what we said earlier about the girls being having different levels of preparation and those sort of acting in the opposite way that you would anticipate, you know, because Viv was prepared for this one very specific role when she's put into a situation that's different. She's just as unprepared for it as serious, but series more flexible. I, I sort of, this is not really a a dig on Brandon Sanderson, but it's hard, I think, as a reader to commiserate with Viv when she's like, oh, no, I have all this supernatural power. Oh, whatever shall I do? You know, because we didn't grow up in this religion that taught us this was mm-hmm. an abomination. Mm-hmm. We as the, as the reader, you know, we didn't go through that. Mm-hmm. So we don't have all of that indoctrination 
so to us, it's just like, quit your bitching. Right. <laughs> well, one of the things that Brandon Sanderson talks about, and we'll, I think we'll talk about it more a little bit later in this section, but that was important for him to explore was being able to hold on to your faith without vilifying people who don't believe the same things that you do. Mm-hmm. And how do you believe without being trapped by that rigidity? And so that's an important part of Avena's character that he builds up so that he can break down and explore that concept. So it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah. And we see that a little bit here in her disappointment with Lemex because Lemex is someone that she had a lot of respect for. And then to find out that he has been kind of pilfering money and buying these breaths, it's crushing for her. So she's in this very black or white frame of thinking and she's got to kind of trying to decide, was Lemex still a patriot? Is it possible that he still was a good man despite this stuff he was doing on the side. Does one act negate the other? It's sort of like what we see and we struggle with sometimes with like the politician or the leader who has to sort of compromise their morals or compromise their stance or their policies in order to do something that they think is for the greater good. It's also sort of one of the things also I think that's interesting with Lemix is that, and Viv's take on him is that she does not understand that they're trying to play by a different set of rules and you can't go into Helandrin and play checkers when everybody else is playing a game of chess and that, you know, for him to store up and acquire a huge amount of breath is attempting to play chess, mm-hmm. you know, but she doesn't understand that. I think you're right. I think also, though, part of his motivation was trying to extend his own life when he became ill. So that was a little bit of self-centered motivation there, too. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think you're mostly right. Well, I think it's easy for him, as it would be easy for anybody in that situation, to justify what they're doing, because it's the thing I'm. It's good for my kingdom. Oh, it's also good for me. Right. It's sort of the saddiest justification. Mm-hmm. In chapter fourteen, Lightsong heads to the presentation of the new queen. He argues theology and weather with his head priest Laramar. He shares a box and some witty banter with Blushweaver, the goddess. Vivenna attends the presentation and gets a glimpse of Ciri. So in the notes for this chapter, Brandon Sanderson talks about how much he likes the playing with the concept of perfect pitch and perfect color. So he, he said he's always been very interested in the idea of perfect pitch and how it's something that some people can hear. And, and the idea that it's it's like math in that it's based on principles that are not human constructs. It's not something that we've invented or that's subjective, you know? Oh, yeah, correct, yeah. So he thought that was cool, and he thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was also perfect color, perfect shades? 
and wouldn't it be cool if there were that was part of a magic system that some people could see it some people couldn't it's interesting that something like that really kind of doesn't exist or maybe it does and we just can't or, or, see yeah it. correct yeah because you know light and sound are both you know sort of waves they have a lot of very similar properties but in sound or in when there's a note there's so much complexity in the in the waveforms that that it is really remarkable that anybody can hear and have perfect pitch and say oh that's a that's a c sharp 4 you know and and to know what it is because even in a note there's all these other notes that are contained with within it so to be able to pick out you know what is sort of the fundamental note is a really sort of amazing thing where light is actually much more simplistic that you know the sort of a hue and you know color is really just a couple of different components where sound is you know composed of all these competing waves so it's sort of interesting that we can kind of have perfect pitch amongst a subset of people where that's really a much more complicated thing than than color i guess maybe the way you could lo look at it is that we all sort of have perfect color except for those of us who are colorblind i don't know a whole lot about it uh if we ever read brent week's lightbringer series we may end up talking more about that because mm, that's interesting. Yeah. it's a similar it's a similar take on the magic system but i think it's kind of neat um, it's not it, it almost reminds me a little bit of sympathy in uh, name of the wind and only in the in this way that i can sort of like you described when we were reading name of the wind like i can kind of go there right like i can see it as the next sort of logical extension of what we right. kind of know about science in our world so when he talks about the idea of perfect color and being able to see more gradations and tones of color i'm like oh yeah Okay. Well, it's interesting because Brandon Sanderson, in another part of the, I think it's the annotations for the next chapter, he talks about that he wanted this this magic system to have a visceral feel to it. He wanted it to feel like extensions of things we already do. So uh, the the idea of life sense, that being able to sense when someone's watching you or in the room with you. So the yeah. idea that that just gets amplified you know, the pitch and the color perception, even like the idea of animating an, an object is something that's not something we can do, but that's something that for many years we believed we could do that certain people could do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it does. It's got a very visceral feel to it. In chapter 15, the God King arrives at the presentation and Siri gets her first look at him in the daylight. The God King's biochroma is more powerful than the other returned because he holds something called the Light of Peace, an enormous trove of breaths that gives him special abilities. This trove was initially gathered by Peace Giver the Blessed and has been passed down from father to son. Siri struggles with the possibility of the return's possible divinity, and Vivenna gets peeped at by a wicked creepy dude who turns out to be Vasher. He's a wicked creepy dude. He is. With his raggy hair, scraggly beard. His deliberately... Rope belt. Yeah, his, his clothes are deliberately torn and cut. There's like some... he's not dirty, but he looks disheveled. It's interesting because anytime Brandon Sanderson describes a character's 
physical appearance over and over like that, I find it important. Like every scene with Vivenna, it's not like this is what her hair looked like. This is what her clothes. Yeah. But every scene with Vasher, it talks about his scraggly beard, his long hair, his rope belt. Yeah. And I think also, am I correct that he has um, clothes that has a bunch of like holes in it? But Yes. But again, those seem to be purposeful. Yes. And we do find out why. In Chapter 16, the Council debates going to war with Idris. Blushweaver is part of a faction pushing hard for this conflict, and she wants Lightsong to join her. He's one of the few returned who can control the nation's zombie army. Ciri's arrival in place of Vivenna has thrown the court into a tizzy. Trelides, the high priest, urges Ciri to get with the baby-making already. Lightsong and Ciri finally meet, and he becomes convinced that she is genuine. All right. So we're all in agreement that as soon as Siri gives him a baby, it's off with her head. Well, and I, I think that gets more strongly implied later in the chapters, but yeah. that's definitely the impression that she's being given. Yeah. I, I don't think at this point it's quite obvious to her. Like you said, as it becomes chapters later, a little bit more clear. Mm -hmm. But I think to us, the reader at this point, Mm-hmm. You're probably starting to go down this road of being right. like, they get a baby out of her, it's lights out. Right. So, yay for the God King who just wants to sit on the couch. <laughs> right. It's interesting because one thing Brandon Sanderson talks about in the annotations is he likes to do these role reversals and he likes to sometimes write things that are a reaction to things he just wrote. So... As a way of kind of playing with his reader's expectations. So in the Mistborn series, he has this all-powerful god-king-emperor dude, okay? And he's just like wicked strong and he's really, really kind of malevolent though. Mm -hmm. He's really the big bad. And he kind of wrote the god-king as a direct reaction to that. Like, so he sets him up. Okay, yeah. we mm-hmm. got this big, bad, all-powerful emperor. He's going to kill you, man. Yeah. And then, like, completely turns it on his head. Yeah. So it, it is kind of cool, and there's a reason that people do say, read the Cosmere in a certain order, because he does that deliberately, and that's what he did deliberately here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm also not not really a fan of Blushweaver. Uh, yeah, not sure that you're meant to be. Yeah, ag- agreed. I don't think you're meant to be, but she's... She reminds me a lot of a character in A Wheel of Time uh, whose name I can't remember, but one of the, one of several politically prominent queens or princesses. Barrelane. That's it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was falling all over Rand at all times. Right. You know. Um, shocker. Yeah. <laughs> like all the women <laughs> in Wheel of Time. Uh, one thing I think is really cool is Light Song's whole fear of being taken seriously as a deity. Yeah. <laughs> and I've just really connected with that. And I think most of us, at least at some point in our adult lives, have that same like deep insecurity of not being a real grown up. And like and like people are expecting me to like I'm adult. a grown up now. Like, yeah. oh my gosh. But that that deep down like I just think about the first time that we bought a car like on our own <laughs> yeah, remember uh-huh. and and like i just remember sitting there in the dealership like with you and just waiting 
for <laughs> for someone to come in and be like, you frauds, yeah. what are you doing here? I kept being like, it's sketchy. It's sketchy. And you were like, it's really not. We're just grownups buying a car. It's, like, <laughs> it's really okay. I think the difference is I had bought several cars at that point. I mean, you had, but. But your point is valid. In Chapter 17, Vivenna returns to a thoroughly ransacked house. Denth and Tonkfa manage to find quite a bit of money, and Viv is relieved that they have chosen to stay loyal to her. Vivenna goes through Lemex's letters and finds something shocking. Her father is the one who ordered Lemex to buy the breath. Viv decides that not only is she going to sneak Siri out, but she's going to continue Lemex's efforts to destabilize Halendron's war efforts. So this is something we see often in Brandon Sanderson's writing. It's a character being forced to examine his or her moral code. So here we have the foundation of Viv's moral code is shaken because for her, her father was this, this staunch example of righteousness. And in a way, Viv is kind of an interesting character because she's based her entire self-concept on being proper and always doing the right thing. So when her idea of right and wrong starts to waver, it's like particularly spectacular. At the same time, I also find her hard to read because like, like how can you be so like type A uber prepared and also so completely naive? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's interesting too, the decision that, okay, I'm going to continue the mission. I'm going to continue to destabilize, you know, the Halandrian war effort without really having any understanding of what her father and Lemix's goals were like, right. you know, the sh- but she's like, I'm going to pick up the mantle and run with this. On one hand, you're like, okay, good for you for finding a, a way to do something and be useful. On the other hand, you don't know, there might be other, and there probably are other spies and people trying to do the same thing and what sort of, you know, ways you might be unknowingly counter, counteracting some of the things they're they're doing and like does your father know you're doing this maybe he's got a different tactic you know like or you know just the and of course you you know this is all happening in a in a world that doesn't have any real technology so there's no way to like you know call back and check in with headquarters uh, not and then also how incredibly naive the concept is that she's just going to go in and free Siri. Right. Like. But she has Denth and Tongfa. Yeah. Yet to know how badass they are. Yeah. Well, we find out soon. We find out soon. I liked this quote from, from them. Um, Denth says, a team of three high-priced specialist mercenaries isn't exactly the type of thing you keep around to serve your tea. Unless you want the tea rammed up someplace uncomfortable. (laughs) So you are grateful for that little bit of comedic relief that they offer when you're reading Viv's blah, blah, blah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Denth and Tongfa are funny. You know, your introduction to them is, you know, with the joke of we're going to kill you. (laughs) No, but really your friend is dying. You know, that's (laughs) that's the sort of introduction you get. And you're like, is that? funny like i don't know if that's even really funny but as time goes on with them they are funny 
In chapter 18, Siri is getting ready for another night on the floor when she decides that she has had it. Not doing it. Not doing it. After finding out that the priests were listening but not watching the bedchamber, she comes up with a creative way to put them off. The God King does not react other than to look worried. Having escaped death, Siri snuggles down to sleep in her bed. Across the palace, Light Song won't get out of bed. He feels himself getting sucked into the political maneuverings around him, and he's certain that he can only mess things up. Larimar reveals that he knew Light Song before he was returned as a way to break him out of his funk. So that was a neat little transition there. It went from in one paragraph, Siri kind of contentedly snuggling into bed, and then the next sentence is, Light Song won't get out of his bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, my, my thoughts on this chapter are, Is Siri out of her goddamn mind? Maybe. So (laughs) that was pretty funny, though. It it was, but what I what I think is interesting is you have this girl who is clearly a virgin, obviously does not have any real sense of what goes on between men and women, you know. But her, but she's going to just you know lay in bed and fake it really loudly for all the priests who are listening. And I'm like, I'm like, I feel like anybody there over the age of 40 is going to see right through (laughs) your 15 year old thinly veiled disguise. Like, you know, especially as it goes on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, does she really think she's fooling anyone? Apparently she does. We'll find out. In chapter 19, Vivenna, Denth, and Tonk Fa advance their plans to stir up unrest in Talir. It involves meeting with some unsavory types that at one time supported Var, the man we saw Vasher kill at the beginning of the book. We meet Jules, the third member of the mercenary group, and Claude, their lifeless soldier. Apparently the group has a history with Vasher, who once went by the name Tax. Viv tells them that she saw Vasher at court recently, and Denth tells her that Vasher is probably going to try to kill her. Once again, another physical description of Vasher. His hair is unkempt, his beard scraggly, his clothing is ripped and held together with ropes. So tell me again the dynamic between Vasher and Denth. It's that they they used to be mercenaries together, or they were competitive. Uh, They used to compete against each other, or... They they have a, they have a history. They, they have a rivalry. They have a rivalry. Yeah. Um, and Denth is the better swordsman. Yes, and and Vasher killed Arsteel, who was once a member of their company, who was an excellent swordsman as well. But what and they, it happened within the last couple of months. But what they have no concept of is that Vasher has n- night blood that. He has all this breath. No, they know that he has night blood because they talk about him killing Arsteel, that Arsteel was an excellent swordsman. And then um, Vasher says, well, he must have used that sword of his. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jules says, no, there were no black marks around the the wound. Mm It wasn't the sword. So they know about night blood. I think they know about his breath. Okay. All right. They don't have a sense of what his... Because he has a completely different sort of mission. Right. That they don't have a sense of. 
that we know of. At it this doesn't point. seem like it. Okay. We know they want to kill him. Yeah. They want to kill him good. I don't think they're going to accomplish it. At least not anytime soon. So we also have Viv's decision at this point to hold the breaths, but not to learn how to use them. So again, she's just walking the shades asinine. of gray. It's uh, uh, yeah, and doing asinine stuff like that's so asinine. I'm gonna rescue my sister. I'm gonna destabilize the war effort. But now that I have this incredibly powerful tool, I'm not going to attempt to learn how to use it. No, that would be wrong. That would be over the line. <laughs> okay. So chapter 20. So this is where shit gets real. It gets real. Just as Siri is starting to feel as though she has things figured out, Bluefingers warns her that giving the God King a child will put her in danger. We get a huge reveal about the God King. Turns out he is a poor, extravagantly handsome, tongueless puppet king. Siri offers to teach him to read. Oh, it's on, evil priests. <laughs> so this is an awesome plot twist. It was. And, and it's interesting to me that I couldn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. Because the return all seems, I mean, it all seems like an elaborate zoo. Right. Like, it, it just, it seems like they're all being sort of just controlled and wielded by the priests. And so why would I assume the God King would be any different? But I, but I did. Right. And, you know, now you, now you look back at him sitting on the couch and you, all the menace you thought that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the fear and the trepidation you have is all completely for naught. He was just, he was going, what the hell the fuck is going going on? on? You know, just he's just like a just like a 15 year old and a 24 year old's body with Mm -hmm. no tongue, no education, being Mm -hmm. fed a line of bullshit, you know, Mm -hmm. completely. I said a puppet. There's no really not a better description. Because unlike all of the other returned, the God King has been returned since infancy. Yeah. So he really was brought up by the priests um, hasn't known anything else. And, you know, and taught and also kept in a position where he had no ability. He can't talk to other people. He can't read. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm sure, I mean, as we see, Siri is attempting to find ways, particularly in later chapters, to get information, to learn the truth. Mm-hmm. And, even when she's like, give me this, they find a way to subvert or pull. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're going to do anything they can not to give her real information. Seuss Braun doesn't even ask. Mm-hmm. And, and couldn't read anything anyway. And he definitely has a trust in his priests. Yeah. He, he's not willing to, to believe that they are not doing the right thing. Yeah. Man. It, he has got to be horny at this point. Right. Like, that's a lot of nights of staring at a naked chick and then staring at a naked chick who gets in your bed and starts making moaning sounds Mm -hmm. to just be sitting there. (laughs) In chapter 21, 
Vasher breaks into Mercy Star's palace with a rope belt, awakened clothing, and a dead squirrel. He's able to make his way inside to find a secret trapdoor that hides secrets that the priests are hiding from their gods. It's like a, such a weird, perverted MacGyver joke. It is. Right? <laughs> a rope and a dead squirrel. Yeah, it's like a cloak, a rope, and a dead squirrel walk into a bar. <laughs> but now we see why Vasher's clothing is ripped. Because he has it, you know, he's got the edges um, cut into fingers almost. Oh, so they yeah, can yeah, kind yeah. of become like hands. And yeah. he can he can make the different strips and tassels do what he wants Specific it to do. Things. Yeah, it's it's now's where it's starting to get more interesting. Because the first 19 chapters, I mean, not that it's not interesting to that point. It is because it's a whole new world and you're setting in who are these people. But but when you find out about Susabron and then Vasher breaks into Mercy Star and then as the stuff that starts to happen with Light Song Lee, you're like, oh, okay. Now mm-hmm. it's now it's getting interesting, you know. And we learn some stuff about Nightblood in this chapter too. We do. Yeah. Um, Vasher says talks about how Nightblood can't see, but he can sense life and people, both things that it was created to protect. And they just have some some adorable banter. Um, so Vasher breaks in, and he doesn't want to kill anybody, so he's mostly incapacitating, and Nightblood isn't happy. Yeah. And he's using the tassels of his shirt to incapacitate people, and Nightblood is going, why don't you use me? I'm better than a shirt. I'm a sword. Yeah, yeah. We also find out that Nightblood can't tempt the hearts of men who are pure. Whatever that means. Whatever that means, exactly. But we know that when Vasher will sometimes throw his sword at a group of people, not all of them will be entranced by it. Yeah. In Chapter 22, Lightsong is playing an elaborate game with a few of the other gods. He doesn't know the rules, but he seems to win every time anyway. He's disturbed by the warmongering of the other gods and by the ominous dreams he's been having. He's also concerned for Ciri. He decides to seek out Blushweaver. Viv and her gang meet with some malcontents. Denth turns out to be a right badass with a sword. Yeah, he does. So this was an interesting chapter because it was sort of all over the place. It's the first time I think we've had all three mm-hmm. of the main characters mm-hmm. uh, pop up in one chapter. So a lot of, a lot of head-hopping here. But the the game with light song was pretty pretty funny. Right, at one playing point, douche ball. Yeah, he's playing with all the other chads. Yeah, exactly. I, I like when he says, um, "You just have to get inside the mind of the sphere." <laughs> Got circular reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> but my favorite part. Okay, so they're they're meeting with the malcontents, right? And it one of the meetings doesn't go well, and so Denth has to stand up and, and kills a bunch of them, and yeah. they're all just in awe because he's lightning fast. You know, apparently he's the badass ass with the sword, and and they all are kind of like the bad guy decides he's going to let him go. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they're kind of edging out of the restaurant, and Tonk Fa's just grabbing handfuls of food. <laughs> as he's walking. That would be out. me. <laughs> I thought that was fun. That's what I would be doing. So it's interesting to watch Light Song sort of get starting to get sucked into events against his better judgment. Yeah, the thing I think that's a little bit frustrating about Light Song's character arc to this point is it's like Blush Reaver is the only one he kind of goes to and talks with. 
but she's so obviously not really a friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't seem to make any effort to talk to any of the other returned. Now, I, it may very well be because he's lived there for years and he knows they're not going to be any better, but but we as readers don't know that. So it's a little frustrating that it's like, it's like I got to go talk to my friend Blushweaver who obviously is not only cares about you because of your control of the lifeless army. Right. And I think you don't, it's his backstory or his history with the other returned is only kind of vaguely hinted at at this point, but he does know them all very well. And he talks a little bit about how the best of them have all kind of gone. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not even sure how much it's mentioned, but there was a, a, a returned called calm seer that he had a relationship with who was the last one to give up her breath. And that was years ago and was the last of the ones that he would have considered a good, one of the good ones. Yeah. So I think he did is just very cynical about all of the other returned. Yeah. Well, it does seem like the returned don't, they seem to have an expiration date. Mm-hmm. In chapter 23, Light Song goes to see Blush Weaver. Together they visit Mercy Star, who is reeling from the attack on her palace. Blushweaver is only interested in trying to convert Mercy Star to her cause, but Lightsong is strangely energized and intrigued by the mystery. He's determined to get to the bottom of things and quickly realizes that the priests are lying about something. So we finally get a real turning point for this character, though. Yeah. After 22 chapters of him not doing anything. We kind of get to see him, you know, Han Solo up a little bit. Yeah. So this is not the chapter where he's going in there kind of on his own. This is right before that happens, correct? Correct. Okay, correct. Yeah. But he does realize that the priest is lying at that point. Yeah. I forget how it I forget how it was he was able to suss that out, mm-hmm. but real to me they're interesting stuff from here kind of happens in the next couple of chapters yeah in chapter 24 siri visits the palace library trelides continues to insist on calling her vessel and won't let her check out any books lame the worst library ever she and susabron are developing the cutest relationship ever though he insists on trusting his priests no matter what siri says he claims that they took his tongue to make him safe the fact that he is willing to keep his reading lessons a secret is a big step. He and Siri discuss how to get a hold of the family history to figure out how the previous god things have died. So, what do you think about Susabron and his whole... They also talk about sex and the fact that he's completely naive and it hasn't been explained to him at all. Yeah. What? <laughs> I sort of feel like... I mean, in his case, it's not as though nature would take over with Siri because he's never been around a woman before I'm right I'm sure but he's also like a man of that age where like your testosterone and sex just sex drive just absolutely dominate you I feel like you can't leave a, lo- a man alone with a penis he won't figure out how it works <laughs> you know like you know, you know, I just, I have a hard time buying that. But this is sort of a Brandon Sanderson thing. Right. You know, where he's not going to get, 
into that. Right. And like I respect I respect that. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't feel that he needs to get into that. I don't think you need to get into the details or you know or or keep a camera in the bedroom. But I do think you have to have some sense of reality mm-hmm. around human sexual behavior and having like a 24-year-old dude who's never jerked off. I I don't, I don't think it's the fact realistic. that the priests it's obviously very important to them that Sousa Braun reproduce, but that no, but none of them explained to him what he should do. <laughs> and they told Siri that she should try to not make eye contact or touch or him. Or talk or touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's. I mean, she was strictly instructed to kneel down on the floor and not move. Yeah. Like, but they also <laughs> didn't tell him what to do either. <laughs> so it's. But it's interesting. Yeah, it's just it's hard to hard to know what was what's going on there cuz cuz I'm pretty sure it was Blue Fingers who told her directly lay down on the floor and don't move. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Now they don't have to because they're all convinced that they're doing it every right. night, you know, and that Siri at least is getting off. She's doing something. Yeah. In Chapter 25, Viv, Denth, and company carry out a plan to destroy a large supply of salt. Vivenna tries to express sympathy for Jules, who has had her breath sold. Jules dresses her down for her arrogance, and Viv is left speechless. The mystery around Denth's past deepens. So this is where really Brandon Sanderson digs into that idea. Can you have faith that's true faith and still be humble? So at one point, I th- I think one of the Would, characters says to believe is to be arrogant. Yeah, I mean, I think the question here is, is there any way that Viv could be more of an asshole? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hard to imagine. She just, I, I mean. She's pretty condescending. Yeah, it's it's comes from a place of naivete. I get that, but she... Also, like, she's not quick to read the room. She's not picking up the hints, Mm -hmm. you know, and she just steps in it. And then when people are like, hey, you're about to step in it, she's like, oh, this, this thing, I'm just good that I'm putting my foot in right now, (laughs) steps right in it, you know. So, yeah, she kind of makes an ass of herself here. Yeah, it's an interesting question. And and we, Denth kind of goes into a little morality speech as well. You know, and he talks, he makes a lot of jokes about being a mercenary, but he kind of gets serious in this chapter. And he he talks about the fact that he considers himself a tool. So he's not really doing the thing he was paid to do. He sees himself like a sword. You know, I'm not really acting against the God King. You're doing that. I'm just the tool that you're using. It's like, you know, Himmler being like, no, Hitler told me to do it. It's fine. Exactly. The, um... The other thing that I sort of question here in this chapter is, can you be sort of an an effective spy is not really the right word because she's not really bringing information back, uh, but she's sort of uh, saboteur. Like, can you be really an effective saboteur and and make this attempt, this grand attempt to destabilize and and stop the efforts of this foreign army? When you don't have even the slightest bit of understanding of the people's culture. 
Like she's got a lot of understanding, but no acceptance. You know, mm-hmm. it, it seems to me like she's been drilled and tutored in the details of their culture, what they believe, but she is so rigid in her thinking that everything that they believe is wrong, that she can't approach them with any kind of empathy. Yeah. Mm. Or acceptance. Yeah, that's a good point. And so like that's I think that's what Brandon Sanderson is trying to explore here with this character is can you and how can you believe that you are right about something without being a dick about it and and maybe at least accept other people don't believe the same things and that you can still accept them and and have empathy towards them while still holding on to your own beliefs. Mm. And that's what Vivenna has to learn to do here. In chapter 26, Light Song wakes up chipper even after yet another night of dreaming about rain, storms, and a red panther. In reviewing You know what kind of panther that is, right? It's a red panther? Sex panther. Sex panther. (laughs) In reviewing his daily art, he sees a red painting depicting the last battle of the many war. In the middle of the scene is a woman holding aloft a black sword that darkens the sky. He heads back to Mercy Star's palace to continue his investigation. The process seems natural, almost as if he has done it before. So the big question here with this chapter is, what are your thoughts on Light Song's past? Oh, I know where he came from. Oh, okay. Yeah, You want to save that for predictions? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is where, where Light Song, it, he's investigating this mystery, but he's also kind of investigating himself. Yeah, and he, like, as he, as you stated, he has this sort of interesting experience of where he's sort of put in this, you know, police investigator, detective sort of mode, and he just finds himself taking to it in such a natural way. It'd almost be like if you had amnesia, you know, you were on a plane accident or something, and you washed ashore, and, you know, you know, you didn't know who you were or anything like that, but, you know, you get rescued, and... You walk into somebody's house and there's a piano and you sit down and you just start playing Chopin, you know, like it's sort of the experience that he's having here. You know, he just intuitively knows how to do this stuff, but he has no earthly concept of why he would know how to do this stuff. It's the Bourne identity thing. Exactly. He's Jason Bourne. He is. Damn it. Did I steal your line? That was my prediction. Oh, I'm sorry. (sighs) <sighs> he's Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon would have to be cast as Light Song. He would have to. Yeah. In chapter 27, Siri is getting beyond frustrated with her inability to get information about Susabron's forefathers. She visits Light Song, who arranges to bring in a storyteller. He tries to give her some advice, but then asks her to promise not to depend on him, as he will surely let her down. So Light Song uh, is really trying to help Siri, but again, he doesn't want to get too adulty about it. Yeah. But one interesting thing that he advises her is to work on her persona. And she says, well, what persona? This is just how I am. He said, no, you want to take who you really are and then play on ex- people's expectations of it. He said, you want to seem not too innocent, but like you're crafty, but not quite as crafty as everyone else. So people will underestimate you, but not think that you're faking what you're doing. Yeah. 
So it's a lot about talk about perception and how you portray yourself. You get a little bit of a Teft vibe from Light Song too. Yeah. Just in this persistence that no, 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 you don't want to. You don't want to put any trust or responsibility on me, mm-hmm. which is always sort of a cop out. But in Light Song's case, it's an obvious cop out. Right. Like it's not, he would tell you it's a cop out. Um, but I, it is interesting to sort of see Siri and Light Song sort of come together with both of them having a little bit more of a realistic sense of the predicament they're both in. And you get the sense that it's those two's cooperation and friendship with each other that is going to potentially even break the war. Ooh. Will be the war breaker? Ooh, maybe. All right, so that's... Whew, that was a lot of chapters that we covered. That was a lot of chapters that we covered. Well yeah. done, Duke. So, well, well done, Duchess. So there's a lot of interesting stuff uh, going on here. I I have a couple of predictions. Ooh, lay them on me. So, so my first prediction is that all of the... I'm not even going to go with the obvious one of if Siri gets pregnant and gives birth, she's fucking dead. Right. Like... Not even going down that one. It's too obvious. But my other one is that all of these other returned who have been, you know, who are no longer around, he talks about his old friends. Right. Like, they're not going into petitions and giving up their breath to, like, a dying four-year-old. They're getting too hip or too wise to what's going on. And they're getting, they're being gotten rid of hmm. by the priest and the religious powers. Okay. So that's my first one. And really, I only have two. And my second one is batshit tinfoil crazy. Oh, yes. Which means it's probably not right. All right. And there's evidence already, like, to contradict what I'm going to say, but I don't care. Okay. It's too good. Okay. You notice how all the returned are all taller than everybody else? Mm-hmm. They're all tall and lean and angular and good looking? Mm-hmm. It's because they're all a lethy. <laughs> they're all from Roshar. <laughs> where Wait, where the sorry. atmosphere is different and the gravity is different. <laughs> so they grow up taller. I didn't have my poker face on properly. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you know it's true. <laughs> They've all died and gone into the uh, Tamberlin. Tranquilin Halls. The Tranquilin Halls, but some of them just got routed here and they showed up. Hmm. So what do you think is going to happen with Denth and Vasher? I mean, you're leading to an obvious showdown between the two of them. I, I can't begin to say how mm-hmm. it's going to end. Mm-hmm. It'll be a showdown. Yeah. I, I, don't, I mean, I do think what the central concept of the of this novel is going to be is going to be how to avert the war that Light Song keeps seeing in his dreams. Mm-hmm. That's going to, that's what it's going to be about. Mm-hmm. 
and Vasher is obviously tied into that. It wouldn't surprise me if we end up in a situation where Vivena gives all of her breath to Denth. Mm-hmm. I do think that, okay, this will be my third prediction. I, I think somehow Susabron's going to find a way to give his breath to Siri. Okay. And that's it. Good prediction. I'm fucking out. <laughs> I ain't got shit to say. Well, now you can finally read chapter 28. Ugh. I'm at that point until now where I couldn't move forward in any of the... I can't move forward in Saga. Mm-hmm. I can't move forward in Words of Radiance. And I couldn't move forward in Warbreaker. So tonight I can fi- finally Yay. start moving forward. So, So that's a good thing. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for this little discussion of Warbreaker. Yes, and next time we'll uh, we'll read whatever Do the hell a we want more to. More chapters, <laughs> whatever the hell we want to. Whenever we get around to recording again, where can they find us? They can find us on the Duke and Duchess Podcast dot com. They can find us on our Twitter at the DND Podcast. D is in David, N is in Nancy, D is in David Podcast. They can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess and. Uh, at our Facebook group page at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the DND group on Instagram at the Duke and Duchess podcast.com or the Duke and Duchess podcast. That is it. If you like us, you can leave us a review on iTunes or on Stitcher or any of those other uh, media outlets out there, Intune Radio, etc. We always like those. They help other people to find us. But really what we love more than anything is just tell a friend uh, and come hang out with us on our Facebook group page. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.